take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. It is Friday. It is June the 9th. It is 9.30 Eastern and 8.30 in Texas, America, and we are rolling live on rumble.com slash kyleserafin slash live. You can find us there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when we start getting down. We've got some wacky stuff going on in this country right now. I went to bed. I woke up with a headache because it is such a ridiculous time, and it's happening on all fronts. We're going to be talking about the indictment of Donald Trump. There's no question about that. That is on everybody's mind, a lot of fury and rage going on, and uh, maybe not all of the information. So let's see what that goes on with. We're going to talk another piece about uh, some attacks on the suspendables that happened yesterday. Many of you probably didn't hear it because it was covered by the left-wing media. So we're going to give you those things, including the letter that was written by Stacey. Stacey Plaskett and Jordan, uh, what's his name? Jerry Nadler, aka the Penguin. And uh, we are also going to get into a older case that went in front of the Supreme Court, was kicked back down to the Ninth Circuit, and is known as Operation Flex by the FBI. We're going to talk about the state secrets defense, and we're going to do so with my buddy and our friend, the real Steve Friend. And of course, Steve, I put you on here, and I spent all this time trying to get all of our. Uh, our camera angles right and then of course it just disappeared on me so give me a second i'm going to recrop it here and put you where i belong all right um folks welcome steve friend to the program as well steve thanks for joining me buddy thanks and you are clearly an apparatus to the deep state you buried the lead there are ufos that were discovered in las vegas thanks a lot kyle sarah were there indeed uh some ufos there you are i lost you for a second uh, so there were some UFOs that were discovered in Las Vegas, and they scrubbed the body cam footage, but we're not going to talk about those things because God knows what they are. God knows why they're there. Um, and, of course, the typical live show. i got to put this thing back up where I can actually see where you are. So, buddy, uh, folks, bear with me just a second. We have the, the typical challenge of technical failures while doing – there he is. Okay, my friend. There you are, buddy. So – you think the, uh, the the Vegas thing has any water? Do you talk to anybody out there in Vegas? No, I tried to reach out, and then everybody just kind of sent me the YouTube videos of the some kid talking about it. And it, I don't know. It just seems like every time there's some sort of major scandal going on that they just drip out the UFO uh, shiny object. And I don't know if maybe that they're actually trying to leak it out because it's legitimate and they figure that nobody's going to pay attention to it because there's other things going on or if it's just to distract people, but... I couldn't couldn't get anything beyond just like the the headlines. So, yeah, they they keep throwing this out there. They drop the uh, you know here's a bunch of Navy pilots, here's a bunch of uh, guys that are involved in something, and now we've got like uh, there was also a, like a deep state whistleblower supposedly, thirty six year old dude coming out of the Air Force, right? Yeah, yeah, I saw his interview a little bit of it, and he he looked way too pleased with himself. Like like he was he was enjoying it a little too much. Um, I I just didn't get the vibe. Now I, I don't I don't know the man. Maybe that's just his regular demeanor. But he didn't seem to have like firsthand information. Like hey, I've seen little green men. I put my hands on the UFO. He was like, well, I've got access to other people who have told me things. And I'm like, no, no, that's not gonna fly. Right. So he yeah he's talking about how he has seen things. He's talked to people who know. Then they have confirmed to him. That's kind of not how this game works. At least not the way that you and I have been playing it. No, no. I, I mean, look, I, 
we'll have to wait on the facts. You got to do the Bongino rule. You got to give it some time, right? Don't don't be the first. Just be correct. The Bongino rule. Okay, so let's uh, talk about our first of three things. This is going to we're going to get to the Trump indictment. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get that up front since I think uh, I think the Trump indictment was actually pretty ridiculous. I'm going to pull up a uh, web browser here real quick, folks. Um, here we go. So. The Trump indictment, this is uh, as reported by Politico. This is the Trump indictment cheat sheet. They need a cheat sheet. Uh, and what to know about the classified documents cases. What are the likely charges? How's Trump going to turn himself in? Blah, blah, blah. We know that he was given a summons, which is what we sort of expect to see uh, with this sort of a deal. And here it says, uh, last year, the federal government recovered more than 300 documents with classified markings from Miralago. We know all those things. Some of them were labeled top secret. The FBI sent in a hostage rescue team and a uh, an armed SWAT team to go do a perimeter clear of a place that is being secured by the Secret Service, which is amazing. And they grabbed 15 boxes of documents. The indictment comes two months after Trump was charged in New York for the uh, hush money thing to a porn star, blah, blah, blah. That was the Alvin Bragg situation. But now we're dealing with a federal indictment, which is coming out of Florida, and it's the Southern District of Florida. And supposedly, the laws that are being cited are things like the Espionage Act, obstruction of a official proceeding, falsifying or destroying pertinent records, and some additional statutes like false statements and conspiracy. Uh, Steve, is there any there there? Uh, I am immediately struck by the the obstruction of official proceeding charge that was thrown out, that the Enron law that's been thrown out all the January 6ers. So apparently walking in the Capitol is the same as having classified documents in a compound. Same law that you broke in. That we need to charge. I think it has all the indications of a point you made. You made back to me like months ago, and it was very spot on. It was the 1980s America would infiltrate and provoke a coup in 2023 America at this point because we're essentially a banana republic. <laughs> America from like the Red Dawn era when we had real action heroes going on would take over current America and do a color color revolution. We, we would send a CIA black team down. They would infiltrate. There would be a regime turnover. I mean, just like every Chuck Norris movie ever. That's exactly what would happen. I think you're right. I think that's what we're dealing with. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about what the Espionage Act said. First of all, um, the the glee that is going on right now when we talk about uh, the mainstream media's look at it. This is a CNN. For those of you who are watching the live chat, you can see that this is the latest on the federal indictment of Donald Trump in the documents probe. Um, Steve, how many probes how many probes did you uh initiate when you worked for the fbi you said probes and you're just talking about ufos and aliens <laughs> how many uh, how many I, probes have you ever opened is there, is there such a thing as a probe that the fbi does and why does the media always cover it that way they they love their terms man it's like these stories were written months ago and they just got dropped that you're going to see that term probe thrown out it'll be just like dossier what everybody used it in, in quid pro quo, you will see in lockstep media, because that's not an actual law enforcement term, which means that they are just making things up as they as they go to sort of set the stage and make a good theater. It's just gonna it's gonna be a good story to tell that they can win their Pulitzer off of, but it's not gonna be certainly fact based. No, why would it be? All right, I'm gonna run some questions that they have on the CNN Politics Live News feed, and they have these question and answers. Let's see if you can answer the same way that their panel of experts came up with. So question number one, has this ever happened before? Has a sitting president ever been indicted by for a federal crime? No. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's their answer here too. Uh, wasn't he already indicted? Uh, yes, in state court. 
Okay, excellent. Strong. You're two for two right now. Can he still run for president under indictment? He can. There was a socialist that did run for president from prison. Was it uh, Eugene Debs back in the 30s? That sounds correct. Uh, More importantly, uh, he could actually hold office while in jail. There is actually nothing precluding him from holding that office in the Constitution, which is what governs this. Um, He might not be able to vote. (laughs) He may not be able to vote for himself. Okay. What if he wins before the end of the trial? What what happens? What's the implications? What are the Democrats going to be worried about? A constitutional crisis at that point uh, because he's going to pardon himself. Seems seems correct. This is what it says. They they say uh, gentle words. They don't like the words like um, pardon. They said he could make it all go away. That was the CNN oh, take on it. Um, and a little then, bit more. Could he in fact Doctor Eve? Yeah, it's a little more. <laughs> That's kind of like a hmm thing. And then, yes, he could make it all go away. And then, of course, we just mentioned that he could actually do this from jail. This could all happen in that way. I, I think that would be the, the most actual, the, the best outcome for America, to have the president in a small cell where he would be completely cut off from all the, uh, the, the just noise and focus on doing the job of the president, like being the plumber and fixing the leak. That that might be the okay, president that, that we have to have. That that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of Americans have less faith in politics now than they ever have. What would that look like? He's just he's I just mean, trapped away, and that's his yeah, job. He would, he would just be there, and they would have to slide him the documents through the glass and have him sign stuff, right? Like he wouldn't be he wouldn't have aids in his ear. There wouldn't be all the the books exposed out because all of his record all his uh, conversations would be recorded, right? They would be they'd all be jail calls. Yeah. What would the yeah, Secret Service fully do? How, transparent. How would, the, how would the Secret Service handle that? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, now you got a now you got a problem because they can actually. It's federal prison, right? So they can actually fire warning shots in the prison context. <laughs> people don't know. Okay, tell people what the deadly force policy is so they understand that. That's 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 one of the caveats. That, that's the, one of the caveats that w- no warning shots shall be fired outside of the prison context. They are entitled to shoot warning shots at at, at the prisoners, right? Yeah. All right. So I've just pulled up here. This is uh, another piece from CNN Politics. I just wanted to show you. Just the, um, there's actually a. a a pretty amazing little interview that was being done by some woman who I don't know her name. Um, oh, her name is uh, Catelyn Collins. I guess that's a person that is on CNN. And uh, she's she's barely able to contain her glee. You can see that like the corners of her mouth are tipped upwards. She's so excited about talking about this. She's talking, uh, in this case, to Jeff, I think, what's his name? Jeff Trusty, who is the uh, the attorney that's representing uh, Trump, who basically just says, you know, we got the summons and uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to show up and this is all going to go down on Tuesday for the uh, the initial appearance, it sounds like. I don't know. Like, I don't even know how this goes. Have Have you had to work in the, uh, the Southern District of Florida at all? Did you actually have enough time there to get any uh, cases moved forward? Uh, well, all my cases in Daytona were the uh, the middle district. Okay. But uh, I had to help Miami, and they had a guy come to our area, so we were li- you were working through both districts. But, I mean, I really wasn't involved with that. I was just kind of on the operational side. And you just got off doing something with Newsmax. You had a legal analyst there. Did anything that he uh, shined on? I, I, I'll tell you kind of what I learned from Bill Shipley last night in a second here. You know, they were t- they, the one thing that struck me that was mentioned uh, – and it was actually out of, out of the context of Donald Trump, but it was more in, in with the with the Joe Biden uh, alleged allegations of uh, corruption. And he was talking about impeachment proceedings. 
And he said that uh, the precedent was set for Donald Trump, where they essentially tried to impeach a president who was no longer in office, right. uh, that they would try to impeach Joe Biden as vice president, because that's when it happened. What? During his vice presidency. Because they, so they, be the, the whole thing was, well, this is old news. This is old news. It's not didn't happen while he was president. And he's like, yeah, well, we can still impeach him as vice president. You set the precedent with Donald Trump. OK, well, that's a take on it. Um, one of the things that was brought up is that there's the possibility that the Espionage Act is uh, is involved. We saw that just a second ago. We saw that, um, you know, being discussed last night and it's being discussed today on CNN. So I wanted to read some pieces from the Espionage Act and get kind of your thoughts on them. There's two sections. It's 18 U.S.C. 793 and 794. That's going to be the gathering, transmitting or losing of defense information. And the second piece of it is sort of like. Uh, either selling or handing it off to a foreign power. Those are the, and the statutes basically mirror each other with just like slightly different language. Here's the part that I think is going to be the most interesting. I'll get your re reflection on it. Um, what it says is, whoever, for the purpose of obtaining information respecting the national defense, which is what we call national defense information, not necessarily classified, with intent or reason to believe that the information is going to be used to injure or to the injury of the United States. So again, that's going to be with intent or reason to believe that the information is to be used to the injury of the United States. Um, any thoughts on the intent piece of this? By the way, that goes all the way across unless you get to some really bizarre piece of gross negligence, which we already found out uh, under Hillary Clinton. There's there's just no reasonable prosecutor. You beat me to the punch, man. All I could think of was the gross negligence versus care reckless carelessness and these just these sort of loose terms and uh, clearly the the DOJ is going to take a very hard line in interpreting them depending on the person that they want to go after here. So this is very, they're going to assign some sort of nefarious intent on Donald Trump's part. So, so the, the question that I have to have, you know, when I look at something like this is I go, you got a man who is the former president who supposedly took information that he knew would be injurious to the United States, he either had intent or he had the reason to believe that that him holding on to this information was going to be dangerous. It was moved by the GSA. The GSA is a government agency that just packed up stuff. That's what they do. You, you know, you've probably seen government moves, but they just grab things and then they bring it back to you. And all of these suckers were supposed to have caused possible injury. And then he's going to run for president a second time because he's interested in the injury or has the intent to injure the country. Does that does that sit with any jury in Florida? Yeah, no, not in Florida. Um, certainly not even in Southern Florida, which like overwhelmingly flipped to conservative in twenty twenty two elections. Uh, I, I, the one thing I going back to what you asked me, did I learn anything? Um, I think might be relevant here is uh, apparently when the presidents leave office, they they the government will essentially lease space for these documents near them. So there's there's a whole location in Arkansas for Bill Clinton. There's a spot in Texas for Bush. There's one in Chicago for Obama where they can actually house their papers. But with, when it came to Donald Trump, they didn't lease any space. They, they basically uh, took part of Mar-a-Lago over and said, well, this is the spot we're going to use. So they may have actually might have actually been setting him up for this by putting the papers there on behalf of the government and then claiming that he had them improperly. So that's pretty weird.
I hadn't actually thought yeah. about that or heard that, but I was always kind of interested in why it was the Miralaga space. Why didn't he just put it in the uh, in his garage next to his Rolls Royce or his Corvette? I, sh- I don't know, but I was blown away by the spot that they showed for, and I mean, maybe it was just stock footage, like a Getty image, but it was like a uh, strip mall in Arkansas for the, the Clinton one. And I was, I mean, it, it looked like it could just be any sort of storage location that they, they could take. It didn't look secure or anything like that, but... Uh, you would think, actually, if they were going to put into a compound that Secret Service had full con- command and control over, that that's probably preferable to a alternate location, which then they would then have to staff up and and keep oversight of. But yeah, just back to, did they set him up for this sort of weird, obscure espionage act because he had documents that he was actually able to declassify sort of charge? I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and once again, that statute does not require it to be classified per se. It just has to be national defense material. So there's a whole list of what those things can be, and it's you would be shocked. I mean, it's like boat designs. It's it's fuel depots. It's anything that could aid a war effort. So there's a lot of things that are built into that sort of uh, that statute as far as descriptive of what defense in, information is, even stuff that was declassified. And that's sort of the allegation that's being made is that because they had— uh, he may have declassified it. They wanted to do an end around and kind of short circuit that uh, that, that defense tactic, and so, you know, they could they could say, well, this is, doesn't have to be classified. It just has to be defense material. Do you think this whole thing, regardless of how it shakes out, and because of the, the politics of it, I guess it, I'll answer my own question. It, it won't generate the necessary attention, but it should highlight the fact that there's overclassification classification going on, and what are the motivations behind that, and. How pe- everybody wants to say that their job is super uber important, so they have to have this great security clearance in order to know the menu, the lunch menu for what's served at the White House. And we're going to have a classification for that. And then, you know, I could put that on my resume for when I move on to my private sector career after government service. But what are the mot- motivate and how motivations for that, and how we need to reform that because there's just these layers of classification that are completely unnecessary. I think you're right. I think that's true. And moreover, I think we're going to discuss that at the end here with Operation Flex, which is, in fact, the name of this particular podcast episode. I think you're going to enjoy that. Um, Some of the stuff that you may know, some of the stuff will be new to you, but I'll still get your reflections on it. Let's pivot real quickly to our friend Garrett. And uh, there's a picture of Garrett up here thrown up on the screen. It says uh, this is an, an article that we all read yesterday. We all being the suspendables read. This is an NBC News article written by Ryan Nobles, who seems to be a fast and loose with the facts. And it says FBI agent who testified for Republicans was suspended over leaked sensitive information. The House Democrats are asking Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate whether Garrett O'Boyle, whom Republicans presented as an FBI whistleblower, lied to Congress. Um, You think there's any chance that our buddy Garrett lied to Congress? No, I know he didn't. I was there and I witnessed his entire testimony. Uh, I, I, and he's talked about how the uh, the really loose allegation was about his legal representation, where they asked him who's they, they tried to basically make it look like Donald Trump and Cash Patel were he's bought and paid for and paying for his legal representation. And he expressed in his deposition that uh, he believed that Cash's charitable organization was paying for his legal representation. Uh, unbeknownst to him, but what was revealed at the end of his hearing was that, in fact, his lawyer is working pro bono. So good on that guy for doing that, but then also clarifying that. And then that information was new to Garrett. He, you know, he had answered honestly and wasn't trying to mislead the committee. 
And then still the Democrats said that he perjured himself because he misrepresented who was paying for his legal representation, which was free. Yeah. So they realized so, that that was pretty weak. Not, and not so material. They, they, they've moved on to a new charge, which was that he was actually suspended by the Bureau for uh, an internal investigation, which had concluded he leaked sensitive investigative information to the right wing group Project Veritas. This is according to Ryan Nobles again on NBCnews.com that says they now accused him of lying. I'm going to get the specifics of it for you right here. The lawmakers learned about the reason for Oboil's suspension, which was previously unreported, in testimony that our dear friend Jennifer Moore, a.k.a. Drunk Jenny, the FBI executive director, executive assistant director for human resources, who provided testimony in front of the Weaponization Committee. Parts of her testimony are included in a letter that were sent the letter is linked. I'm going to show folks the letter here because we always bring the receipts for what's going on. It says in the letter, uh, Jerry Nadler and Stacey Plaskett, two Democrats of minimal value to the American people, detailed several instances when O'Boyle in his interviews uh, denied that he had leaked information to the media. So let's just be clear. The Democrats are alleging that the FBI has, com has completed a fantastic investigation that has positively concluded that Garrett O'Boyle did a thing that he claims he didn't do. And I'm curious if you think that the FBI is is capable of such an internal investigation? Well, I know they're not competent to that level. Um, I know they're completely able to just lie and make things up. Garrett didn't do what they, they said he did. Uh, and I, I think we have uh, some sworn affidavits to show that he didn't. All he did was take the information as he uh, is entitled to do and, and sworn to do to Congress. He didn't leak any classified information to the media. So uh, in here, fact, he's bent over backwards and held back from talking to the media until after he testified. So that's a guy who sat on his hands for nine months uh, and, and turned down every single offer from media. And still, even to this day, when he's on media, he's uber careful and saying, I can't talk about certain elements of that. So he's he's very buttoned up with it. Um, and, uh, Jennifer Moore, uh, she needs to be a verb. Uh, I, we need to come up with a, a verb for her because she's just a despicable human being, um, who's gone after people that were just doing things for the right way for the right reasons. But, uh, you know, she, she towed the party line and then was rewarded for it. So interestingly enough. Garrett was suspended last year in September, which is uh, noted in this thing. It, uh, it also says that in February, he went in front of the uh, the Weaponization Committee's attorneys. Uh, same thing you did, gave this, uh, this compelled deposition or this uh, sworn testimony, which was done behind closed doors and then leaked as part of a sort of a smear campaign. Their first attempt was to say that he had perjured himself there about his legal coverage, which I think you just covered accurately. Uh, and then they have some of these other sort of quotes that they've pulled out saying, uh, can you tell me the contents of the uh, security or the suspension notice? And his attorney said, we're not going to be discussing anything specifically. And there's a couple little pieces on here. Folks, if you want to see this, it's uh, it's available. It's a DOJ letter or a letter written to the DOJ, rather. Uh, but the thing that I think is very interesting is they cut away from Garrett's stuff to go and discuss the uh, the Jennifer Moore piece. Here's what's very interesting. The allegation is, the allegation is that Garrett O'Boyle went to Project Veritas. This is James O'Keefe's outfit that he founded, no longer is with at this point after some drama that happened this year. But um, last year, the Project Veritas folks had access to a number of documents that I disclosed to Congress. 
And I'm going to tell you guys exactly what happened, which the, the Democrats won't do. You won't hear this pretty much anywhere else because nobody else knows this story. Garrett and I were working on whistleblower activities while we were suspended. I was suspended. He was not. And, uh, and Steve, I think you know this as well. And during that time, I decided to go public with my story. I started um, giving some information in the background to members of Congress in different offices. You can imagine that members of Congress have lots of different contacts. They are able to, um, to share things with the media at will, especially things that are unclassified, things that I were give, was giving them, things that I was making allegations about. And sometimes Project Veritas is a vehicle for sort of those things. Fox News is also a vehicle. We've seen numbers of, uh, of documents that we've put forward pop up in the media. The first one, which made me um, a, a public figure in a way that I didn't care to be, was when I went forward with that EDU threats, EDU officials um, threat tag e email. And that wasn't for public consumption. That was me sharing it with Congress saying this is the problem. It looks like the, uh, the Attorney General Purgeon himself. And sure enough, two weeks later, we see it in the national news. I know things that you've brought to the public have also ended up in the national news. So this is not like a this is not a new game. But the allegation that they're making is that Garrett went to the went to Project Veritas while he was working um, actively before he was suspended. And that's absurd because I actually introduced him to Project Veritas after he was suspended. They had asked me specifically and I had an ongoing working relationship with them about certain things once I had already been made public. It's like, well, screw it. I might as well talk to these guys. And uh, after that conversation, a number of months later, I was able to bring Garrett to them. And to this point, he hasn't given any interviews to them other than they reached out and asked him if he would do an interview. And so far, he's declined, which you have never seen Garrett O'Boyle do an interview with Project Veritas. Does that more or less line up with uh, the way that we've been seeing things here? Uh, yeah, with the, I guess that's the accurate story. That's not what's going to be reported, though. And that's where you have the mouthpiece at NBC run a story to scare off potential future whistleblowers because uh, clearly the levers of power will turn and spin to uh, drum up criminal charges against you any way they can if you come forward as Garrett did, which is, again, we're back to this is the type of country that the 1980s America would infiltrate and provoke a coup to overturn because it is a South American style banana republic. Right. That makes sense. So your your contention is is that they're doing this to chill whistleblowers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what well, they they tried a, a bunch of different things. I mean, they obviously the FBI itself was uh, used all of the all of its full arsenal to deprive Garrett and Marcus, myself, you, uh, of a paycheck and in any way they could and, and we'll get into you know, your letter that you received from them. Um, the, so the FBI itself has weaponized all of its processes to to chill any sort of whistleblowing action, has introduced more training to make whistleblowers look like they're insider threats. And now they've partnered with the Democrats and mainstream media to make it very public. And and, and they're not they're not hiding behind any sort of mask. They're just saying uh, pretty openly, like, if you come out, you, we'll, we'll charge you with a crime. And the only response to that is going to be just refuse to participate in it. I, I, I mean, we're just the entire process is is a farce. Um, wherever Garrett is, he can count me at a side. I'm not going to he's not going to surrender himself. I'm not going to let him. I mean, all 150 pounds of me will just hold him down because I'm not going to let him surrender to this sort of tyranny from our government. 
So there's a, uh, uh, page 14. They actually bring up me. Uh, I'm pretty confident that you are also addressed in here, but, uh, they mentioned the checks that we had written to these guys, which we are having them hold on to and not cash until we figure out whether or not there's some tax implications. Since in America, if you raise money for someone in good faith, the IRS still may want a piece of it, even though it wasn't your money and it otherwise complies with legal donations. It seems like we're going to be okay on there. We're going to, we've got just one more person we're going to check with before they, they cash this. Yeah. But what they, what they wrote was specifically on May 30th, Kyle Serafin, an FBI agent who resigned after being suspended for weapons violations, you know me, uh, very unsafe with weapons, that's my problems, uh, posted on Twitter images of checks that he was providing to Mr. O'Boyle and Mr. Allen in the amount of $255,194 each. The memo line checks describes them as a gift for, quote unquote, holding the line. How out of touch do you have to be as a congressperson? You got to talk to Stacey Plaskett, and I don't know if Nadler was there or not. How out of touch no. do you, with reality do you have to be to not know what, quote unquote, holding the line means? Uh, just willful ignorance at this point. It's the same re rationale of people who went up there and said that, well, this a Twitter account is Marcus Allen on it, so we're going to assign anything that that random Twitter account says to you because you have the same name. Or Dan Goldman, who's one of the richest members of Congress, implying that uh, I and, and Garrett were bought and paid for and just clearly financially uh, beholden to Trump lieutenants, uh, when in fact we had sacrificed six-figure careers and uh, received $5,000 charitable donation at Christmas time from a man who neither one of us has ever actually met uh, in his charitable arm, not even from him personally. So it, they're yeah. completely just divorced from reality. And uh, <laughs> You've never met Cash, I forget that. You guys have never met Cash. He did something that was, I think, very nice. Uh, I think that's just his nature. He's a he's kind of a pretty regular dude. When I, when I met him and, and hung out with him, the uh, <laughs> he offered me a, a Coors Light, uh, which I thought was kind of a funny. It, like this is a, this is a regular you know hotel beer beer bar that had all kinds of you know imports and whatever. And he's <laughs> just like, no, he's a Coors guy. I was actually just thinking with the, with regard to the checks, um, once we get the final uh, you know, sign off on that, which is ridiculous because people donated their money that they've already paid taxes on uh, to these guys and the government's going to want a piece of it. That's no, no that's absurd. Uh, maybe cash can hook us up with one of those uh, sweepstakes, giant checks, and we could do an event where we hand over like the, the four by <laughs> six giant check yeah we need a bigger Marcus check for for garrett because he's so big it won't it won't look as big if he's not no it'll just look, look like a little button so the, their their citation this is in this is in the congressional record record these are letters that are being sent by members of congress to the doj and they have pictures of my twitter feed saying that if you are uncomfortable making an online donation that you could go ahead and give the money through our uh, physical address and just address it to Cash Patel. I literally sent a text message over to Cash and said, would you be willing to receive money on these guys' behalf? Honestly, like there's enough money in the online version of it. Just put it towards the next whistleblower. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So there, there's no coordination. There's no financial coordination with the, the Cash no, Patel it, Foundation or anything else. Much to the surprise of the Society of Former Agents. who We got we got to blow that one up. Go for it. Uh, just, I know that's not on the, just, on the just agenda. Just send it. Just go for it. <laughs> so you had a, a contact from a member of the Society of Former Agents, which is, uh, you know, essentially has its lips surgically attached to the anus of the director's office of the FBI. These are guys who are never was or has been at best who just continue to mouth 
what the FBI wants it to do. And they talk about the, the good old days of the Bureau. They have not recognized that the organization that they once worked for is uh, completely gone at this point. It's It needs to be dissolved and broken down. It's a weapon of the political left in this country. But uh, all those... Uh, all those characterizations aside, this guy reached out to you and wanted a full audit of membership uh, or of contributions to this and, and implied that there, this sort of type of effort, because it was so successful, was ripe for corruption or graft or something like that. Um, it was written in a way it was almost like he was trying to uh, get an information, which I'm sure he would just personally accept and just for his own edification, not necessarily going to provide that to anybody whose his lips are surgically attached to the anus of, um, and wanted to make sure that his money was just, you know, not going to be misused or, or pocketed by you because you were clearly a person of questionable honor. Right. Um, and, uh, unfortunately for him, there's a accounting record of your contributions. So even if he just was really worried about his money being spent, um, his $5 contribution to this charitable effort, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't entitle him to the information that he was seeking. And and let me just say, if you are so beholden to the organization because you want to accept a pension from them, you're going to kiss their ass uh, well into retirement. How sad are you that uh, the pension that they gave you, that you sold your soul for, only uh, allows you to contribute $5 to a charity? Yeah. Yeah, so... The, the, the quick and dirty is a guy gave $5 and then asked us to have a forensic audit and a board of governors that would hand out the money that he contributed all $5 to. Look, we appreciate every single donation that went to these guys. I really do. It's, uh, you know, Americans opened their hearts and their wallets and they took care of my friends, our friends, and showed, uh, you know, that they were willing to stand with these guys who have now faced something pretty withering. And I'm going to just push this up on the, the screen real quick as well. It says... Uh, Mr. O'Boyle and Mr. Allen's acceptance of $255,194 from Mr. Serafin thus raises additional concerns regarding whether they complied with all FBI and Justice Department regulations concerning the receipt of gifts. And for these reasons, we ask you to move expeditiously to examine whether Mr. O'Boyle has lied to Congress in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1001 and committed perjury under 18 U.S.C. 1621 or violated applicable FBI regulations regarding the acceptance of gift. We ask that you move expeditiously to investigate what, whether Mr. Allen has violated applicable regulations regarding the acceptance of gifts. So there you go. Um, we have a, a Congress. This is what weaponization looks like of a federal government. This is what happens when your federal government decides to come after people in a disgusting way, I think, and uh, in a way that uh, is totally unwarranted other than they are trying to serve the DOJ and serve the FBI. These are This is the self-licking ice cream cone. It continues to lick itself, it seems like. And right now it's benefiting Democrats, but I'm about to show you a story where we can realize everybody is in danger. Yes? You agree? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Goldman, why aren't you giving $5? You should have just given $5 and then demanded the forensic uh, audit, Representative Goldman. Levi Strauss heir. <laughs> right. Worth worth uh, what half a billion dollars or something like that. Uh, so so let's talk about weaponized government for a second here. This is something that you and I are focused on. This is what you are doing with your work as a senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. I'm going to bring up a document on the on the uh, on the screen here. Uh, many of you are familiar with this. If you're not watching our Rumble channel, you can tune in and check this out at the timestamp. What you'll see is the domain perspective, which I 
shared, which I was able to expose to the American people, showing that the FBI was willing to investigate Catholics at their church in Richmond, and that it would show that people who were interested in the Latin Mass, people who uh, wanted a traditional Catholic experience, uh, obviously were ripe for being recruited by white supremacists, that they had the potential of being white supremacists for their standings on border security, for their standing on LGBTQIA, uh, whatever you want to call them, rights that are being pushed into the public space, and their anti-abortion stance. And the reason we know that is because of Appendix D, which is right here, front and center, the Southern Poverty Law Center, a, a hate group in and of itself defining radical traditional Catholics as a hate group. This is the entire document, folks. This is the original one that uh, you may or may not have seen on UncoverDC.com. I wrote an article about it. The entire thing was available to all of you. Still is up there under um, the FBI doubles down going after Christians. That's what this is about. Let's talk about Operation Flex. Do you know anything about Operation Flex, Steve? Have you ever heard of them? Because I may just be sharing it with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you spoke about this operation uh, some podcasts ago, a couple months back, I think. And that was really my first... Uh, that's the first time I'd ever learned anything about it. Um, but uh, I think that this, the latest uh, revelation from this this article that we were uh, reviewing earlier today just shows how we're back to our concerns about the, the government hiding behind the veil of national security and you know ongoing investigation. We have to preserve sources and methods uh, and how that itself is just weaponized against anybody, not just those evil, dastardly Republicans in the oversight committee. Evil indeed. So the uh, this story goes a long ways back. This goes back to 20, 2006, uh, beginning of the War on Terror, or at least the, the beginning part of the War on Terror, the first 25% of it or so. This is a, a an article that I'm going to bring up here from the ACLU, so by no means a right-wing source, and they are covering FBI versus Fugaza. Uh F A Z A G A. How do you how do you think you pronounce that? Fazaga. Uh, That's better. So FBI versus Fazaga, who was an imam in Orange County, California. We're going to read through the quick basics of this thing here. Uh, this was a landmark case that went up in front of the Supreme Court. It was kicked back down to the Ninth Circuit on a nine to zero ruling, stating that they in fact needed to go back and have it re-adjudicated. And essentially, the the summary of this case, which we're scrolling through right in front of you on the Rumble channel says that the case stemmed from an FBI operation in 2006 and 7. It was uh, known as Operation Flex due to the fact that the informant was using his time and his skill at the gym to try to uh, recruit other Muslim men to potential plots that would involve terrorism. It says the FBI informant indiscriminately gathered names, telephone numbers, email addresses, as well as information on the religious and political beliefs of hundreds of Muslim Americans, again, in Orange County, California. So by no means a right-wing place, although Orange County is actually pretty right-wing for California. This was in, uh, this is sitting in the Ninth Circuit, and they're, they are still considering giving the government this credibility, even though I would say that Muslims in general have been a protected group. It said his FBI handlers were conducting electronic surveillance in at least eight area mosques. This should not shock anybody that this was going on, but this is far before we ever had the outrage about the Catholic Church. This is the all, they came for fill in the blank, and it wasn't me, and so I said nothing. Um, here's a quote from the uh, from one of the plaintiffs here. He says, as the Iman of the I'm Orange County Islamic Federation, I worked diligently to establish trust between my community and the United States government after the horrifying attacks on September 11th, more than 20 years ago. I invited the FBI to come speak to members of my mosque. They looked us all in the eyes and assured us unequivocally that they were not spying on us. We trusted them 
but they lied, and our sacred community was shaken to the core. This is, again, the, uh, the imam that was out of Orange County. This is uh, Fazaga, who is the named plaintiff. There are two other plaintiffs, two members of the congregation, showing that, uh, that the FBI was going in. And one of the things that the Bureau did, Steve, and you can kind of speak to this as well, the, uh, the Bureau gave this guy uh, key fobs and other recording devices, which we would be familiar with for miking up a confidential human informant. And he left the room and just left these on tables and gathered hundreds of hours of recordings. Where does that fit in the, uh, the Diog's policy on how you can use recording devices? I think it's uh, a departure, I think is the very the, the legalese <laughs> on that. I think it uh, violates uh, two-party consent or one-party consent um, is essentially a wiretap at that point, uh, which you would need an enhanced uh, ability to, to do. You'd need a judge to sign off on. Right. So without a FISA, which would be the warrant that would allow this kind of wiretapping, then you you can't just leave something. You said one-party consent. Can you explain to people the difference between one and two-party consent? I think that's probably it, – it gets bandied about a lot. I think journalists generally have a pretty good grasp of it, but people in the world don't necessarily need to know. It's not part of their life. So maybe expound upon that for a sec. Yeah, it's it's just a – it's normally it's a state-by-state basis uh, it, about recording conversations. And if the state happens to be a uh, two-party consent law, that means that both members of the of of conversation, you and I having a conversation, uh, we both have to agree that we're all okay with that conversation being recorded. Uh, other states is one-party consent, so I could surreptitiously put a recording device on myself, record my conversation with you, and that would be perfectly kosher. Uh, there are exceptions, obviously. So in my case, in the state of Florida, it's a two-party state. However, if you were doing uh, something for law enforcement purposes, uh, as a as an officer of the law, you can do one party, and that's how you would record a phone call with, say, a suspect, and you know have him uh, on the phone say, "Yeah, yo, I I did the crime," and then you'd have a taped confession of it. Definitely. So this article came out in Time Magazine or Time Online, Time dot com yesterday. I'm going to bring it back up here. This is a an article that is related to this Operation Flex. And and the reason why I think it's so absurd is that essentially the FBI is arguing, this is the uh, the title of the article, this is written by Sonia Mansour. It says, uh, the FBI claims secret evidence trumps religious discrimination charges in domestic spying cases. For me, this is a, a sort of the way that the shark is jumped. You know, everyone's seeing it. We're going to know that that's the case when we're going after a former president and claiming that he somehow was being injurious to... Uh, <laughs> to this country that he is now running to be in charge of again. Uh, but in this place, this is the same case here. I'm going to read you kind of the piece that made the most sort of troubling allegations, which is that uh, it's a decade into the system. This has been going on for almost 15 years right now, but they've been in court for uh, over a decade. They had a Supreme Court decision kick it back down, and it was heard back in front of the Ninth Circuit again. And the argument is the, the FBI says that the, the plaintiff's claims alleging religious discrimination, I'm going to quote directly here, need to be dismissed because it has secret evidence that would exonerate the FBI if they made it public, but they're not going to do that. And since the court cannot hear evidence as to who the FBI investigated or why, it cannot adjudicate whether the government targeted the plaintiffs based on their religion, it said, in their legal filings. The plaintiffs have argued they don't need secret evidence to win their argument and that the case should proceed without the information. Religious discrimination claims should not be dismissed. They stated, that makes sense to me, the government so far has not invoked the state secret privilege for allegations of unlawful surveillance. But essentially, the FBI is arguing, just trust me, bro, 
uh, we had reasons to be there. We're not going to tell you what they were. And we're not even going to tell you that there was any prosecution out of it. This goes back to our long discussion about intelligence versus criminal cases. They could have had a predicated intelligence investigation, which is very broad and easy, and they would have never needed to bring criminal charges. And yet they could be involved in spying. And then also, please, just trust me, bro. We did it for a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's I Congress shall make no law. <laughs> right. I mean, it's. It's 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 the first one guy. It's this is free religion, and you're going to say, well, uh, we've passed a law that allows us to infringe on your religion. Uh, we can't tell you about it because we're doing really important things here. So there's always the caveat: you can have free religion, but if we want to do something that infringes on that, then you're just going to have to sit and take it and and just take our word for it. I was thinking about actually. We, it was laughable back in the uh, 60s when Richard Nixon was running for president and he said he had a secret plan to end uh, the U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Perfect. You just have to trust me and elect me. Yes. And could, and people at that point gave him the benefit of the doubt and essentially handed the presidency over to him. Um, you can uh, debate whether or not that was a good decision or not. Richard and, Nixon. And then Richard Nixon ended um, up with the most indictments in a presidential um, cabinet and a presidential staff, which was 75 until we got to Donald Trump, which has now eclipsed it by orders of magnitude, 215. So we've gone from a man who commissioned a break-in of his political opponents and used government apparatus for physical spying to a man who is now being targeted by that same apparatus in a way. And obviously he's far more guilty and far more dangerous with 215 indictments to all of his uh, close circle and friends and advisors. So there's that. Yeah. But the point is that government secrecy has never led to a, a good outcome, um, and it just leads to infringement on civil liberties, religious freedom, free expression, uh, and the government then has this get-out-of-jail-free card that we've seen the FBI continuously deploy. Well, we can't reveal that because it's an ongoing investigation. We can't reveal that because we have to protect our sources and methods. I think for a time it's those those sort of you give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I, I think we've that exit, what the last exit off that highway was passed miles ago at this point. So I got uh, I got thinking about the First Amendment when you were talking about it. There's two real pieces that discuss the uh, the religious liberties that we have in this country. One is that Congress shall make no law that establishes a particular religion, and then it shall not make any laws that infringe on the, the free exercise thereof, right? So we have two real important pieces, and right now, in this case, they're saying, look, I know it's in the Constitution, but what we're doing is so much more important because we're defending the Constitution. I think this is sort of the fundamental argument that we've been making, that the FBI has reached the point where it is now in the same way that Skynet wanted to kill off all the people in the Terminator movie. It's like, who's the real threat to democracy? Oh, the democratic people. We need to get rid of those people, and then we can have perfect democracy. With no people, by the way. So Skynet got rid of all the people that were a threat to humanity, which was humanity. Um, and, and it seems like the FBI is on the same sort of AI logic course at this point. And and even to take it out of the fictional science, the science fiction film theater, let's just put it to, to real world. I have to suspend principles of the free market to save the free market by stalwart right. of 
constitutional conservatism, um, George W. Bush, 2008. Right. This is the Patriot Act arguments is essentially that the only way that we're going to save this country is by turning it into the autocratic and uh, tyrannical sort of government that we were fighting against in other places because 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 trust me, bro, is what it keeps coming down to. It's yeah. that we have your best yeah. interest I mean, at they, heart. We know better. They than had it with the Patriot Act. They did and they did it with the TARP, with the financial sector. It's always it, it's always just trust us this time because we have to do it for your for your own good. It's back to the the ten most terrifying words in the English language. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And on top of that, and I've made some arguments recently that this this government sponsored religion, which is the the religion of leftism, is uh, it's complete with all of its own things, including a promise of eternal life. That eternal life just turns out to be for government entities. Things like the ATF that should have been disbanded years ago were actually on the chopping block, and so. Rather than lose the ATF, we now have a bigger ATF than ever, and the reason they got that way is because they got involved in a botched raid in Waco, and they went after a U.S. military veteran for having an illegal shotgun, potentially by like one or two inches, on the barrel, which I don't know if anyone's ever tried to conceal like a 30-inch long gun under anything. It's just not an issue. So these, you know, these things were all— musket. It's—yeah, it's it's like a blunderbuss. And uh, there's just there's no justification for coming after people in that way. And yet we see this promise of eternal life. And then we have all these other sort of illogical tenets of sort of cultish type religion, which is going to be things like climate change and, you know, the uh, LGBTQ agenda, which is shutting down families and, you know, separating uh, kids from their parents and letting people know that you you don't have a right to raise your own children. The state knows better which is why we're getting government indoctrinations and all this kind of thing. So we're, we're in this like spiritual battle, but we're actually in a physical battle when the FBI is leaving listening devices, going back 15 years in churches, going after and targeting these uh, religious minorities, which historically, that was the whole point of this country, that you were allowed to practice your religion, and being a religious minority in this country was sort of sacrosanct. You didn't go and, and screw with them. You didn't mess with people who wanted the Latin mass when everybody else wants mass uh, you know, in, in English in the vernacular. It's just a departure. And again, the idea that we are going to suspend the Constitution so that we can protect the Constitution. If people are not waking up to see this, and for some reason we're seeing people on the left that are just cheering this on and defending it, is there any way that you can get into the heads of those people and understand what they're saying? Because they don't sound like they're foaming at the mouth crazy, even though the things they're saying are terrifying to me. No, it's it's invulnerable ignorance at this point. It, uh, I I remember hearing the story about the uh, I think it was during the Clinton when they uh, when, when Bill Clinton was first elected and there was some sort of uh, during his inauguration or some of the festivities in the immediate aftermath of that there was a, a military event where the the planes did the giant flyover and uh, one of his you know code pink style. Of supporters was like, well, I thought, you know, what we were going to shut down the military industrial complex because we're going to, you know, it's, they're the, the hippies, right? And they're, they're against uh, the, the military. And the, the response back was, well, no, now, now we have those tools at our disposal. They're ours. And I think that the folks on the left just see the FBI as their plaything now. And they've been able to institutionalized so much now that they, they don't foresee a time in the future where the tables will be turned and then they can be those uh, forces can be used against them. I think that they now feel like they've reached the end of the race. They've run the race. They won. And uh, we are in charge in into perpetuity. 
So you think that they are not in the the category of the the crocodile is going to eat us last, so we're just sort of staying at the end. They think they actually won this thing and that this will not come back, even though we're seeing evidence. Like I said, people in the Muslim community are basically considered to be protected, and yet they're not. It's the same story that we talked about with April Rogers and, and the infiltration of the BLM protesters that were going on in Colorado. This only happened two years ago, so this is not... This is not something that the FBI has given up on, even in the last two years, even as we've seen like a dramatic push to the left. They're still willing to go after anybody's civil liberties. It just takes a, you know, it's taken a backseat to their involvement in January 6th because there's obviously money to be made in the, the DT space. Yeah, I think that they they view those those people as necessary sacrifices. They're the pawns on the chessboard. But at the end, king and queen are going to going to win and reign supreme and they don't really care if they have to sacrifice a few pawns for the cause. How do people that work in the FBI right now justify working for that agency? I just sent a, uh, a copy of the letter that I got from the uh, the office of the inspector general. Was it the inspector general? No, it was the office of professional responsibility. OPR. Yep. So I got an OPR letter from DOJ stating that uh, they've reinvestigated themselves and determined that they were not at fault, that the government has done a government investigation and concludes that the government was in fact correct. Uh, this is the same government that has falsely decided that Garrett O'Boyle was involved uh, with Project Veritas prior to him meeting Project Veritas with, you know, I'll just say it like this. There's no evidence that that's the case. There cannot be evidence of something that didn't happen. And yet they have argued now both in front of Congress and they've let drunk Jenny go out there who's since retired. And she's been able to make this kind of claim with impunity. Like what's, what's the consequences for her stating a investigation that has come up with false proceedings? It makes me wonder about Hanson right now, to be honest. I don't know if you have that same feeling. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I'm questioning everything at this point. I, you, with the letter you got from OPR, I thought was was great because the lion's share of the response you got from them is them saying, doing our investigation determined that we shouldn't really be having to investigate this because it doesn't meet with our criteria to investigate it. However, parenthetically, at the end, if we did investigate it, we're right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. They, they Because they're not actually making an argument whether or not uh, there was anything there. They just basically say, well, we don't have the jurisdiction. After all this investigation that we've done, it reminds me of a lot of the stuff that Bongino likes to talk about, how he says, you know, it's not happening, but it'd be, it's really great that it is. And uh, and in the same way, they're like, you know, they didn't discriminate against you, but it's really great that they did. And also, uh, if, if they did discriminate against you, they didn't because uh, we're not at fault because we're the government and we've investigated ourselves and hold ourselves blameless. Uh, seriously scary, seriously weird times, my friend, and uh, very unfortunate, I think, for the American people because on a Friday, I don't like going out on a bad note, but this is like a rage note. Uh, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to low-intensity skirmishes and like small and violence. As you mentioned, you're going to put 155 pounds of your frame in front of the government coming for a guy like Garrett O'Boyle. I would do the same thing. I mentioned that last night, that that's my line. That's a red line for me. If this government decides to come after people that didn't do anything wrong, and I know for a fact that it was not the case. I will be, I will be, guerrilla warrior status. Like I just don't see. Like they've left all of the uh, the ability of them to have any claim. They've left any possibility of legitimacy, and I think a lot of Americans are already there anyway. They're all just waiting for their own red line. But that's mine. It sounds like that's yours too. Yeah, I mean, I think that I view that as their decision, not ours. At that point, we're. We're just going to, uh, I mean, it's the thing that I cautioned about originally when I objected to the January 6th stuff. I said, guys, we're really lucky, you know, that we haven't uh, ha encountered a community that has the back of somebody, whether or not they did something wrong, right or wrong. We need to do it the right way. Um, and I know that uh, Garrett will be surrounded by community. You will be, and I will be. 
um, if, if they come, I'm going to make them come get me. I'm going to make them come get Garrett because we're not going to comply with an unlawful, out-of-control government. There is some uh, examples of this in Texas where they had some sort of state warrant where a guy basically stood on his property for the rest of his life and he didn't come off and he had 400 acres and he just hung out there and he never left. And so it was like, I think it was referred to as the longest armed standoff uh, in the history of America, which went on 15 or 18 years before the government dropped charges, statute of limitation stuff. I can't actually imagine them going after him in real life, but I do think that is a line that cannot be uncrossed. Um, you know, he's being represented by the same attorneys that represent Cash and, and represent the president and Michael Flynn. So luckily they have that background. Uh, not everybody is in that same that spot, but they may have picked the wrong guy to be tangling with, especially because, like I said, there is uh, they've just undermined the credibility of the agency we work for. And it makes me question everything. Same with same as you. Uh, like I literally am looking at Robert Hansen in, in prison and going, yeah, he probably did all that stuff. And yet it came from the same agency that just made a credible allegation to Congress that is factually lacking all evidence. They can't have any evidence because it didn't happen. And that's really scary stuff when you're on the uh, receiving end of that. I'm sure there's some people that have been framed in the world that are looking around and going, yeah, we've been telling you that for a long time. But that wasn't our experience until until right now, until in the last couple of days. We've been seeing it building and building, and this is sort of the culmination of that foolishness. So, um yeah, that's my monologue to end it out, folks. <laughs> I can't think about it in any other way. I do want to thank Steve Friend for joining me, buddy. Uh, let people know where they can follow you, and uh, we'll put your book link in the uh, description. I know that is being sold. That is about to release, is it not? Yep, June 13th. Next week, is uh, we're cleared for launch. Uh, True Blue, my journey from beat cop to suspended FBI whistleblower. It's on sale on Amazon, uh, also Barnes & Noble, if you don't want to give Jeff Bezos any money. You can follow me at... Uh, at real Steve friend on Twitter at real underscore Steve friend on truth social. Uh, and I appreciate all the support from everybody thus far. What are you all dressed up for? Where are you at right now? You're in another place. Uh, I actually about to go to the Georgia GOP state convention. I'm in Columbus, Georgia. I'm going to be uh, doing an address there. Uh, I believe president Trump's going to be speaking tomorrow, but I don't know if his plans may be changed after last night. Yeah, that checks out. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for joining me, buddy. I'm going to go ahead and close this thing out. We're going to do a thank you to our sponsors. We're going to start by thanking Patriot Coolers. Folks, if you have not visited PatriotCoolers.com, check them out. Put it on your bookmark. You may not need one today, but you might be in the market soon. You've got a picture right now on the screen of their hard coolers. These are comparable to a Yeti. They've got 13 stripes on the bottom. They say Patriot on them in a nice, very uh, patriotic logo. They've got cool colors. They've got larger sizes for better prices than you'll find on like a Yeti or an Arctic. And they're an outstanding piece of equipment. Uh, the stuff they can make in America, they do. The stuff that they cannot, that's forbidden by uh, silly laws by our, our government, are made overseas just like everybody else's stuff. And uh, they are a Houston-based company that does a great job. They support veterans, and they support the Kyle Serafin Show. Now, for several months, they were our first sponsor, and we're truly grateful for that. And then secondarily, I want to say thank you to CatholicVote.org. You can go to their website at CatholicVote.org. You can sign up for The Loop, which is their news and their email. I get it every morning. It's full of excellent updates on current events. They will cover all things from the perspective of defending faith, family, and freedom. These are things that uh, many of us in our audience can all appreciate and are looking for. You're looking for defending the things that are most important to Americans, faith, family, and freedom. Check out CatholicVote.org, and uh, you can sign up for that newsletter there. Like I said, The Loop, outstanding stuff. We're really grateful for them coming in here. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. We do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
we have some uh, just a significant tumbling in of five-star reviews. I will read one again on Monday. I am uh, over my time limit, I think, at the moment. But I want to thank all of you for being in the live chat, for joining us, for uh, for praying for the suspendables, for praying for our nation, praying for our former president right now. We are at such a dangerous crossroads. I don't want anyone to be blackpilled because there is no reason for you to give up hope. But it is time for you. If you have not set the line in the sand and set your feet, set your face like Flint, then you better get that done right now. You better do a quick examination before this weekend ends and know exactly what you're willing to tolerate from this government, which is supposed to serve us and obviously has left the mark. A truly dangerous time, but um, all dangerous things will end and all good things can come from them. It might be rocky in the meantime. Imagine what uh, George... Hill said the other day, this is the uh, the incoming storm, this, the cold front that's going to push out some of the stagnant grossness. It will be tumultuous during that time. And uh, on the other end of it, I see sort of great times, hopefully in time for my children to be teenagers and they don't remember any of this stuff. Anyhow, we will see you again on Monday. I will be working on getting an interview for us there. I have a couple of ideas. And if not, then you'll just see me and my smiling mug with more of the ridiculous news cycle that is going on. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash kyleserafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and Truth Social at Kyle Serafin.